Welcome to the Freedom Report. What I love about Austin Peterson is his love of the battle. He wants to fight. Austin was, of course, the rabble-rouser, just to make sure I stayed Rothbardian. We live in a world fraught with danger, and there is a certain amount of danger that the public must endure in order to secure the blessings of liberty for economic freedom and personal liberty. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Austin Peterson here, former Libertarian presidential and Republican U.S. Senate candidate. Thank you so very much for tuning into the Freedom Report podcast today. Today is Monday, October the 1st, and welcome back. The Freedom Report podcast has always been a labor of love for me. Um, I have not been able to do podcasting regularly for the last three years, obviously, for seeking high office. Been a little bit busy. Uh, But now that I've got a little bit more free time in my hands, I think it's time to get back into it. Uh, As it turns out, the Freedom Report podcast, when I was doing it regularly, had accrued around 37.5 million downloads. That's a lot of people who are interested in the ideas of economic freedom and personal liberty, and that's what this podcast is all about. You can find us on iTunes, on SoundCloud, or on Podbean if you want to download us regularly. And I'll also be adding this podcast to others as well. If you have something that you would like me to distribute the podcast on, then please feel free to get in touch. As always, if you have questions or comments, if you send them to my Facebook page or if you send them to me in a direct message on Twitter or some other platform, I will be happy to answer those questions in further podcasts. So do me a favor, hit me up, tell me what you think about it. Don't forget to subscribe to us on whatever platform it is that you like to listen to podcasts to. And let's get right into it. So today I want to talk a little bit about um, a story that happened this weekend. This was Kanye West uh, performing at Saturday Night Live. And what was interesting was not the release of his new album. I mean, even though I'm a big fan of his music, uh, but it was a political statement that was recorded by comedian Chris Rock. Uh, And of course, Kanye West, he's no stranger to confusing or surprising the hell out of people. And this weekend was absolutely no different. Uh, I'm going to pull this quote from foxnews.com, an article written by Catherine Lamb. Uh, Kanye West appeared on Saturday Night Live wearing a Make America Great Again hat, uh, but instead of thanking the audience and walking off stage, he went into a political rant. Clips posted captured the speech, and this is what he said, quote, I want to cry right now. Black man in America supposed to keep what you're feeling inside right now, West said with a melody playing in the background. Quote, the blacks want always Democrats. You know, it's like the plan they did to take the fathers out of the home and put them on welfare. Does anybody know about that? That's a democratic plan. In another clip, West continues, there's so many times I talk to a white person and they say, how could you like Trump? He's racist. Well, if I was concerned about racism, I would have moved out of America a long time ago. He also pledged to run for president in 2020. Uh, Good luck with that, Kanye. (laughs) And called for a dialogue, not a diatribe, in order to have events change in the future. He ended the speech by thanking the show, even though some of you all don't agree, uh, Variety had reported. Uh, Chris Rock is heard laughing in the background of his video, saying, oh my God. Many of the cast members standing behind West are seen keeping their heads down. Some of them rolled their eyes, and others shook their heads. Uh, Most of the people in the audience remained silent. Some people booed and yelled, and even a few claps were heard in the background in New York City. Well, that's pretty amazing. Must have been some tourists who had scored some Saturday Night Live tickets because you know you're not going to find anybody who's going to clap or cheer for Donald Trump in New York City. That's for sure. But I found this story interesting because I think that it shows that there are some people out there who, in the broader sense of the cultural wars, are looking for ways to connect. Um, You know, I, I, I know how to sort of sense... 
uh, indifference or blind, blind partisanship in people or people who are just doing things just to get attention. And while what Kanye is doing may be in part a ploy for attention, I get the sense that deep down he is being very sincere. Uh, and I very much appreciate what he is doing, what he's saying. Now, obviously, you know, putting aside his music career, because, you know, there's a whole level of discussions that we can have on that. Maybe I should start a podcast about music. Uh, but frankly, you know, I'm a big fan of, of his music. Uh, but putting that aside, what he is saying here politically is something that we hear a lot of conservatives saying. Um, let me just repeat this real quick. He says, a black man in America is supposed to keep what you're feeling inside right now. And he says the blacks want always Democrats. You know, it's like the plan they did to take the fathers out of the home and put them on a welfare. Does anybody know about that? That's a Democratic plan. I mean, that's quite a microphone drop statement. I mean, that is a very bold statement. That's the kind of statement that if... You know, any conservative or libertarian that was not black said something like that, they would immediately be branded a racist. But the fact that Kanye West is saying this, I think it makes a very powerful impact. Now, you all know how I feel. I think that the, the left has gone off the rails. I think that the, the left is pushing further and further into extremism. In my opinion, I think this is actually a response to the right, which was the the populist movement of Trump, which was in itself a response to the left going further left. And we see this pendulum swinging back and forth. But what Kanye is doing here is it appears that he is really trying to bridge the divide to sort of soften the extremism so that we can get towards the center where we can actually have conversations about difficult political topics, you know, without being labeled a racist, without being labeled hateful or, or you know, strictly partisan. Uh, but this is the culture war, people. This is the discussion that we need to be having in this country right now, but that we can't have because, unfortunately, political correctness has infected both the left and the right. You know, I, I had tried to have a conversation with some friends of mine out in Las Vegas about a simple topic of economic uh, importance. And whenever I have a discussion with people who are liberal or left-leaning about a discussion of economics, it quickly degenerates into something about feelings, right? This I don't like how this makes me feel, right? This makes me feel uncomfortable. Uh, I was having a discussion with some friends about the gender wage gap. Uh, and uh, frankly, they were offended with a simple recitation of the facts. Um, and what was mostly interesting to me was that they were actually offended when I suggested that women had choices, that women made choices, right? That Or that women had a choice when it came to the gender wage gap, right? If they wanted to make more money, they could engage in this activity, they could stay longer at work, they could not have children, right? And they're like, oh, no, it was offensive to me. It's amazing that I suggested that women have choices. Uh, but that's that's the problem nowadays is we cannot have discussions about something like this where you know here is Kanye West talking about welfare he's talking about black fathers being out of the home being on welfare and he says that's a democratic plan well he's absolutely right he's absolutely 100% correct because when there is no incentive for fathers to stay in the family unit uh, then you're going to get more people on welfare. Because what is the job of a man in the context of a relationship or the context of a family? It is the job of a man to provide. Now, you may disagree with that. You know, you may be more progressive in your social views, but that does not matter. It doesn't matter what you feel about what it is that a man does. But the role of a man in society 
is to provide, right? Remember, men are, in some sense, disposable, right? You know, we can't bear children, so, and, uh, and, you know, we have, uh, you know, we, we, we just are seen as disposable in modern society. And so that's the problem, is that if there is no incentive for a man to stay at home because someone can just go and have big daddy government being taking, you know, taking care of them, then there really is no point for a man, right? In some ways, I think that modern feminism and the left is, that's really what they want. You know, I shared a, a post the other day on Instagram. You saw a young man wearing a shirt uh, saying men are trash, right? We're trying to degrade and and remove the the proper or the natural, or I would say perhaps just the uh, the default role of men in society. Because no matter what position we are in life, right? Once we become adults as men, we are expected to produce and we are expected to provide that. Whether we are expected to provide that to our families voluntarily, uh, we are most certainly expected to provide for other families involuntarily through taxation, through the force of taxation, uh, and of course, through the redistribution of our wealth through welfare. Kanye West seems to have identified that, right? He seems to be saying here, you know, the blacks want Democrats, you know, to and, and, and this is going to take fathers out of the home and put, put families on welfare. I mean, that's just the facts. That's just what it is. Um, you know, I wish that it wasn't true, but that's where it is. And, you know, if that makes you feel emotional, don't take it from this black man who's not an economist. Take it from a black man named Thomas Sowell. <laughs> take it from Walter Williams, who will corroborate all of these things. And if you want more information, I'll be happy to provide that with you, uh, to you in links for further reading. As long as you're not just, ha if you're having an emotional reaction to what it is that I'm saying, if what I'm saying is bothering you deeply, and you want to see whether, if whether or not I'm saying is supplemented by facts, please feel free to reach out and I can link you to the appropriate sources, Thomas Sowell, uh, Black Rednecks, uh, and many other fine works by him and Walter Williams as well. And then, uh, uh, Kanye West continues. He says, there's so many times I talk to a white person. They say, how could you like Trump? He's racist. Well, if I was concerned about racism, I would have moved uh, out of America a long time ago. So, um, you know, is there a problem with racism in the United States? Yes, uh, I, I think there is a problem with racism. In the United States. I think there's a problem with racism around the world. Right? You're going to encounter racism in every single country, in every single culture, right? There's always going to be mutual enmities, whether they're based on, you know, sins of the father or historic rivalries. It's just that's the nature, I think, of humanity is to fear the other. Uh, but it's not confined entirely to one side, in my opinion. Now, he says if he was concerned about racism, he would have moved out of America a long time ago. Now, let's, let's, be, let's be honest with ourselves and let's look at things from the other side. You know, if you're Kanye West, you're married to Kim Kardashian, you're a millionaire, you have no problems, you had a great career, you're a genius musical artist and producer, you know, you're probably not going to encounter the same kinds of problems that inner city blacks are going to face in Kansas City or in St. Louis or in other, you know, places around the country in Oakland, California or places like that. And so you have to be honest about that. And did I, have I encountered racism in my life? Yes, mostly casual racism, right? Where people will say racist things where, you know, they're, they're just doing it casually, not in a vindictive manner, but they're just sort of pushing it out there. Now, some I remember, I'll never forget one story from the U.S. Senate race on the campaign trail. Actually, the first time that Donald Trump came to Missouri, and he came sad, sad, sadly, to endorse, to endorse uh, Attorney General Josh Hawley. But I'll never forget being at that event, shaking everyone's hands, trying to make friends, you know, doing what it needs to be done to, to campaign. And I'm having conversations with people and things like that. And there was one person in particular who I sat down with and had a conversation with. And uh, I'll never forget what she said to me. She looked up at me. She goes, it's so nice to be around all white people. 
I was so shocked I had no idea what to say. And uh, if you heard, yeah, that, that growling was Chewbacca. Um, sorry about that, guys. That's what happens. Uh, but, um, but I'll never forget that. And I thought to myself, yeah, it's here. It's here. But then I thought about this, you know, out of the other, you know, maybe 1,000, 2,000 people who were there at that event this, uh, this last Christmas, that was the only person who said anything like that or who had anything to do. I mean, she offered that to me uh, unsolicited. It wasn't like I was like, so how do you like being surrounded by all white? How do you like the fact that there's no minorities around here, right? Um, But I didn't get the overall impression that the crowd would necessarily share her opinions on that. Right? And, you know, again, this is, these are the culture wars and culture changes. You know, every 10 years, we have a bit of a cultural revolution, right? The 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, cultural attitudes change and some progress is good, right? Old school feminism and, you know, there are around 13 different schools of feminism. Old school feminism was truly about equality, but that's not what it's about anymore. It's about supremacy, right? And does supremacy exist on the right? Absolutely. Does supremacy exist on the left? Yes. This, these concepts of sectionalism and factionalism and, uh, you know, does racial supremacy exist? Yes. Does gender supremacy concepts exist? Yeah. Like do, do some men think women are inferior and, and believe in some sense of, of what, that we should live in a society, you know, structured according to what, uh, you know, the feminists claim is happening, right? A vast international patriarchal conspiracy or a national patriarchal conspiracy. Are there people who probably fit that bill? Yes. Are they majority of people who are politically active? No, absolutely not. Uh, and as someone who has been in politics for about 11 to 12 years, I can tell you that that is just not the case. It exists, but those people are going to be the ones who command the headlines. Those people are going to be the ones who the you know Time Magazine and Newsweek are going to write articles about, right? BuzzFeed and stuff like top 10 racists of Missouri, right? Things like that. And then, of course, you're going to get that kind of a response on the left, right? Do it, but the problem, of course, is, and listen, you're going to say I'm not objective, but you know what? I don't give a damn because this is what I feel. But it is my opinion that a slight majority of those on the left share those extremist views, share those kinds of gender supremacy views, who share those kinds of what I would even what I would call sexist views. Uh, And we see that in the hearings for Brett Kavanaugh, the person who is up for being a Supreme Court justice. I mean, after watching what happened last week, which was what was going with Kavanaugh, was a cultural war, right? Behind it were the forces of darkness and the postmodern feminists who are uh, responsible for so much pain and suffering that was being incurred this last week with this, uh, the uh, culmination of the Me Too movement and the whole concept that we should believe women, whether or not they're, they're credible or whether or not we have due process. Well, you know, it, it just sort of strikes me as, as ultimately barbaric, the behavior of the, of the Democrats, which is, in, in many ways, they are seeing it as some sort of a legitimate response from the right, as if the right was entirely racist or a majority racist, but that is not the experience that I have had. Now, con- conversely, when I look at what the Democrats have been doing, and when I go to Democrat rallies, which I have, and there's video evidence on my Facebook page, right? This is not me not being objective. Like, I went to Bernie Sa- Sanders rallies. I go to, I've been to Black Lives Matter protests. I've talked to these people, and and I've spoken to even people who I think, who I know are moderate Democrats who are my friends. And they hold these extremist views of the left. That is not the case with the conservatives that I hang out with on a regular basis. And I keep my eyes and ears open, right? I I listen, right? I want to know and ensure that I'm not just trying to confirm my biases. This is my opinion. 
but I'm just saying that I believe that what Kanye West is doing right now is very important. I think it's a big, important piece of what we are now calling the walkaway movement. If you're not familiar with the walkaway movement, the walkaway movement is a movement that was started by liberal Democrats saying that they are going to be walking away from the policies of the Democrats. What Kanye West is talking about. Let me repeat his quote again. He says, I want to cry right now. <laughs> I do too, Kanye. He says, black man in America is supposed to keep what you're feeling inside right now. And he, you could just say men in America are supposed to keep what they're feeling inside right now, right? Uh, and he says, the blacks want always Democrats. You know, it's like the plan they did to take the fathers out of the home and put them on welfare. Does anybody know that? That's a democratic plan. Well, Kanye, you know, you're absolutely right, my friend. You're absolutely right. And I want to move over to an article uh, discussing, continuing this discussion of the culture wars. Uh, and uh, it's uh, an article written by Toby Young over at Spectator USA. It's a little long, uh, but I do want to read most, if not all of it, and share with you some of these thoughts uh, because I thought that this was a really good breakdown, a modern breakdown of what it is. Toby Young, uh, writing for the Spectator, says, Did conservatives win the culture war? Uh, and he says, I always used to think liberals had won the culture war and conservatives had won the economic war. And he says, Now I'm not so sure. This is uh, writing again in Spectator. Kavanaugh's drinking should be investigated, says the headline on Slate. A reference to the admission by Mark Judge, a school friend of Brett Kavanaugh's, that he sometimes got blackout drunk. This prompted a wit on Twitter to remark, guys, I think conservatives won the culture wars. Now, reading that brought me up short. This is his words. He says he's a social liberal and an economic conservative, now, does he even know what that is? Here in the, in the United States, we call that libertarian. And he says he's, he's always told himself that people like me have won. <laughs> Wrong, right? Liberals won the culture war and conservatives won the economic war, at least in the United States and the UK. But what if it's the other way around? Let's start with the culture war. If liberals had won the culture war, how would you explain the following? The editor-in-chief of the New York Review of Books, St. Patrick's Cathedral of New York Liberalism, has just been forced to resign by an outrage mob for publishing an essay by someone accused and acquitted of sex crimes. Feminists like Germaine Greer, Julie Bindle, and Linda Bellos are routinely no-platformed and threatened with violence on college campuses for challenging the right of men to tell them what to say and think. Boris Johnson, the ex-foreign secretary of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, is currently under investigation for making a joke about a traditional religious practice. Male college students in America can now be found guilty of rape if they have sex with a woman who is under the influence of alcohol, or if she hasn't explicitly consented to the removal of every separate item of clothing, including her belt. Oh my god. That holds true even if the people involved have subsequently entered into a monogamous and loving sexual relationship. That has got to be one of the most screwed up things that I've heard in my entire adult life. And it's been going on now for years. The British Labour Party is now home to so many anti-Semites that Jewish members of parliament require police protection when attending the party's annual conference. Yet 62% of 18 to 24-year-olds in the UK say they're going to vote Labour in the next election. Um, you know, Damien Green was sacked from the UK government after the police found images of naked women on his office computer, even though there was nothing unlawful about the images. Well, you know, probably didn't look important work, right? The films, TV shows, and pop music are frequently found to be problematic by millennials for breaching various codes and taboos to do with race and sex. Tipper Gore 
must be delighted, right? Now people are going back and watching American Pie and getting triggered. Now they're going back and watching The Breakfast Club and getting triggered, right? Old Molly Ringwald movies, right? People, I mean, now you can't even watch Breakfast with Tiffany's because there's a Mickey Rooney character in there. He's playing an Asian character. We can't have cultural appropriation. You can never play someone of another race or gender, right? Because, you know, people who have no concept or theater or art or film are trying to tell me or more the theatrical community or the production community that we can no longer play characters of which we are not that base race. And how, how dare you play a comedic character of a, of a separate race. That's problematic. Okay, now what about the economic war? We won that, right? Uh, no, absolutely not. A Harvard poll in 2016 found that only a minority of 18 to 29-year-old Americans support capitalism. 42% in favor, 51% against. That one hits me right in the feels, bro. Uh, in the UK, there is widespread public support for the state seizing controls of the assets of private companies. Polling indicates 65% of British voters are in favor of nationalizing the Royal Mail, 60% the railway companies, and on and on and on. A majority of British voters think that taxes and expenditure on health, education, and welfare are too low. Only a tiny minority, around 5%, think they're too high. And, uh, of course, obviously this guy is from uh, uh, the UK, so that's why we're getting mostly UK data here. But what's going on? I mean, have social liberals and economic conservatives like us got it backwards? I mean, did we lose on both fronts? I mean, I say yes. Uh, he's going to say not exactly. So I'll continue to read his, and then I'll make my arguments for why we have lost on both fronts. He says, the truth is that the left has won the culture war and is probably heading for victory in the economic war. The unsettling resemblance between the moral majority that policed public life and popular culture in the second half of the 20th century and the witch finder generals of the woke left is not because they share the same political agenda. Rather, it's because they're equally illiberal in pursuit of their goals. Let me, say, let me repeat this so that you can understand this, right? What he's saying is the resemblance between the moral majority, right? This is the Jerry Falwells of the 1980s, like when I was a child, right? The, the, the puritanical right, right? The Christian conservative right, of which they are not the same power block that they were, but they're still very powerful, especially in states here like Missouri, where me not being overtly religious was an extreme, extreme problem for many people, and my opponents made it an election issue, uh, of course. That moral majority attitude, right? The, 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 the theocrats of the right, uh, the moral majority, right? They are as equally illiberal as the woke left, right? I've been saying this for a while and having conversations about the puritanical left and the puritanical right, right? Strategically, they're poles apart, but tactically, they're remarkably similar, right? They want to have moral judgments about our lifestyles, right? The, the right, the moral majority right, the puritanical right, wants you to live according to their Christian lifestyle, right? Like many of them want to replace the Constitution with the, with the biblical law. Uh, I met these people out on the campaign trail, right? Theocrats, essentially. And then, of course, on the left, you have, you know, the atheistic theocrats, right, where the government is their god, uh, and they, are, they want to destroy the social institutions of the family and replace everything with transgender bathrooms or what have you, right? The social justice warriors left. They're both equally puritanical in their views. They are both a moral, they call, a, a, I would say, moral majority um, in, in the sense, right? Now listen to this. A Harvard law professor wrote a piece in the New Yorker earlier this week in which she argued anyone who witnesses a sexual misdemeanor, such as observing two drunk college students making out a party but fails to intervene, is complicit. Complicit. Just by viewing two drunk college students make out, you are now complicit in this. 
right? <laughs> Unbelievable. Now, it isn't just Harvard Law School and New Yorker that have been seized by this authoritarian spirit. It's not an exaggeration to say across the developed world, many of the shibboleths of this new illiberal ideology are adhered to without question by the most powerful elites. If he's thinking about the administrators of our prestigious universities, department chairs, professoriates, you know, large swaths of the political class, managers of the state bureaucracies, editorial boards, senior employees of the most influential mainstream media platforms, New York Times, Guardian, CNN, BBC, social media companies, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, uh, Penguin Random House executives, and as well as leaders of the tech giants, Apple, Google, Amazon, and the Brahmin class in Silicon Valley more wild, widely. And of course, there's the managers of the entertainment industry, Hollywood studios, the talent that makes the living in entertainment, including those employed in the performing arts, people like uh, particularly state subsidized or charitably funded performing arts, right? National Endowment for the Arts people. You know, as Andrew Sullivan wrote in New York Magazine earlier this year, we are all on campus now. And he's talking about this, of course, because as I've been saying for the last several years, especially in my speeches on college campuses, but colleges are the battleground. Colleges are ground zero for the broader cultural war. And that's why it's so very important for us to ensure that we have good outreach programs for the young. That's why I'm a big supporter of institutions like Young Americans for Liberty, Students for Liberty, and, um, and other conservative uh, and libertarian youth groups. Very important for us to be involved. We cannot step back. We cannot, we have got to push the true liberals. And I say we, I'm talking about true liberals, true classical liberals, people who are not illiberal, people who want real change, people who want moderation away from the extreme fringes of the left and the right, people who want, you know, sound government, good policy, people who want, um, you know, a, a country that's not in civil war, <laughs> in civil war with itself, right? I mean, we're in, in some sense, we are in a cold war here between the left and right in the United States, and we are all being held hostage by the extremist left and by the extremist right. And unfortunately, Ladies and gentlemen, it seems as if we are in for a long battle. Uh, he concludes by saying, conservatives haven't won the culture war. He says it only seems that way because a new generation of hard left authoritarian ideologues with a profoundly illiberal attitude towards dissent of any kind are about to complete their long march through our most powerful institutions. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so very much for listening to the Freedom Report podcast, our first podcast back after, oh, more than a year off. Please don't forget to subscribe to us. Also, just so you know, if you guys like history, if you like a little bit of fun, and if you like video games, um, my buddy John Burke, also known as Sar Sergeant Savage, he and I made good buddies on the U.S. Senate campaign, has highly encouraged me to spend some time doing video game streaming on Twitch, but because... Everybody does that already. I was thinking to myself, there's, you know, and, and I play video games, of course, in my free time. Uh, John was like, you know, do something different, do something unique. So this week, um, I'm actually live streaming, or uh, probably for a couple of weeks, a series of videos on Twitch where I'm discussing the history of World War One, uh, specifically some of the, my my favorite stories of some of the heroes of World War One. So if you're a fan of video games, I'm playing Battlefield One. It's a World War One recreation shooter. 
and in it, I'll be discussing some of my favorite stories from World War One. So if you like history and you like video games, you can find me on, on Twitch. My username there is NYCproducer1776. Thank you so very much for listening to the Freedom Report podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Podbean, on Stitcher, on iTunes, or on SoundCloud. SoundCloud is going to be the premier way for me to, to deliver this content to you. So thank you again very much. Have a wonderful week, and I will be back with another podcast. You're getting two a week from here until forever um, very soon. Also, oh yeah, one last thing before I go, uh, before the popo comes, as you can hear, coming to shut me down. Uh, one last thing, of course, you if you were um, on my email list for the U.S. Senate campaign or for the presidential campaign, you're going to start getting emails. In fact, you may be listening to this podcast already from an email, with which case this is already moot. But if you're getting emails from independentcitizen.com, that's a website which I am now an editor of and I'll be contributing to and will be delivering emails to your inboxes uh, periodically. Um, most likely on a day-to-day basis, you'll be getting email updates with content, news, opinions, my podcast, and things like that. Again, please don't mark it as spam. Make sure to white flag that so that you can get those emails to your inbox. And again, thank you so much so very much for being a part of the Freedom Report podcast. We're back, baby, and we're better than ever, and the fight for freedom, the revolution continues.